0: To the uh, the book of Romans, please. We'll be going there uh, at some point tonight. We'll pray for my my little boy. He uh, he got a cold from my sister. Oh, she's not in here. She uh, she took the day off and she decided to go run and. Cause she was sick. So she decided to go run. She, she's not in here. Okay. She decided to go run because she was sick. And then uh, she decided to go give her sickness to my son. So uh, he's at home right now wiping his nose. Uh, we'll pray for him. Don't tell, tell my sister I said that when you say all right, let's pray. Father, we come before you in Jesus name. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for allowing us to be here tonight. Well, we pray that your word would be glorified. We pray, God, that you would have the final say in all that is said tonight. Lord, I decrease so that you may increase. I become less so that you can become more. I pray that you would move me out of the way tonight, that you would be glorified, that you would be praised, that your people would not hear me or see me, but they would hear and see you speak to them tonight through your word. Let them see the the false teachings, Lord. Let them see the true teachings of your word. And God, I pray that we would not only learn these things, but be ready and equipped to pass these things on. Father, be glorified tonight. We pray also for my son. I pray that you would uh, heal him quickly, Lord. Let him be back to his normal self. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I'd like to thank you all for being here tonight. Um, I will say the last time that we were here at our last Wednesday service, I was expecting there to be um, people picketing outside and, and protesting um, what we were doing, but I was also expecting um, more Roman Catholics. I don't see any here today I don't think I see any here today but my my hope is that in learning these things that you are prepared to minister to your fellow Roman Catholic family or friends uh, or just that you're ready ready and equipped to be able to minister whenever you run across a Roman Catholic and there are Just about two billion of them in the world. So you the likelihood of you running into one is very good. Amen. The last time that we were together, we were speaking about the subject of sola scriptura. And we learned that Rome derives their authority or her authority from herself. We saw not only does Rome believe that she has the authority to determine what scripture is and what scripture is not. But she also believes that she has the authority to interpret what Scripture means and also what Scripture does not mean. Rome also believes that she has the authority to to dictate what tradition is and what tradition is not and what tradition is authoritative. She's the one who determines that. Again, ultimately, Rome is her own final authority. We saw last week that Protestants believe In Sola Scriptura, that scripture is alone, sufficient to function as the regula fide or infallible rule of faith for the church. We saw that all that one must believe to be a Christian is found within scripture and no other source. We saw that that which is not found in scripture either directly or by implication is not binding upon the Christian or on the church. We also saw that Scripture reveals those things which are necessary for salvation. And finally, that all traditions, whether they be really holy in their appearance or not, they are subject to a higher authority, and that higher authority is the Scriptures. Amen. Amen. We have made this distinction on who and where each side gets their authority. So, based on being able to determine where we get our authority, I'd like to share with you tonight what I believe is the most important principle of this debate or this discussion, and that is the gospel. More specifically, I'd like to talk to you tonight about the doctrine of justification by faith alone. What I'd like to do in the beginning is define or at least examine for you what Rome believes concerning justification. Then from there, We will look at the biblical teaching of justification by faith alone. So what I'd like to do is give you a warning. There is going to be a, a lot of of quotes from Rome. Hang in there. Don't fall asleep. I'll explain to you what they mean. I'll explain to you what they're actually saying. But I need you to see that. See it for yourself. I don't want you to just take it from me that this is what they're saying. I want you to see what they're saying. Okay. All right. So. The reformers, they emphasized the biblical term justification. How many of you ever heard that word before? Justification. Praise God. Good. If you've been in this house for any time, you've heard that before. They preached that justification was by faith alone or sola fide, sola fide, faith alone. Now, Rome was forced to respond to this constant proclamation of the reformers. Everyone's saying sola fide, sola fide. So they met. And what is essentially Rome's response to the Reformation, it's known as, you may have heard it before, the Council of Trent. The Council of Trent met between 1845 and 1653, or 1863, and this is maybe 20 years after, 20 to 30 years after the Reformation began, 1516. Out of this council came 16 chapters and 33 canons, condemning various teachings, including Those teachings that are represented by the reformers or that which we teach here in the church. The Council of Trent is considered by Rome. Now, listen to this to be infallible in their teaching and the church. Should they reject any of the teachings that came out of Trent, they would reject their own dogma, which is this infallibility of the church, meaning that the Council of Trent, all of the teachings that came out of the Council of Trent are infallible. Infallible, meaning perfect or without error or without the ability to fall. The church itself also believes in the infallibility of the church. Look at me real quick. Meaning whatever Rome teaches is perfect and from God. I saw someone say, wow, you should say, wow, whatever comes from Rome is perfect and from God in their view. Now, here's a quote from the Council of Trent. Uh, can you go back one page, please? You should be able to use the arrows there. Go to view and then you'll be able to do it. I'll start reading it for you. Since there is being disseminated at this time, not without loss of many souls and grievous detriment to the unity of the church, it can it can a. A certain erroneous doctrine concerning justification. What they are saying is there's a teaching out there being taught by the reformers, which is erroneous. They are saying we are going to now make a statement in opposition to what the reformers are teaching. They call it erroneous. They also say the Holy Ecumenical Council or Ecumenical and General Council of Trent. They are saying this is who we are to expound. To all the faithful of Christ, the true and salutary doctrine of justification. So they're saying, this is what's being taught. We now, as the holy Council of God, are going to clarify what Christ says or what the Bible teaches. He says, they also say, strictly forbidding that anyone henceforth presume to believe, preach or teach otherwise than is defined and declared in the present dec- decree. What are they saying? They're saying what we're about to say, anybody, everybody is strictly forbidden to teach anything opposite. Anathema means to be condemned. Little girl doesn't understand what I'm saying. It means to be damned. They are saying if you teach, they will say, if you teach anything opposite of what we are about to at this council teach, you are condemned. Condemned. So all of you here at Reformation Bible Church, according to Rome, are condemned. Why? We're going to show you what they teach. And if you believe opposite, anathema. The council. They continue by asserting that Christ, that though Christ died for all, all do not receive the benefit of his death. Listen now. But those only to whom the merit of his passion is communicated. Which is effective through the laver or labor of regeneration, or if you have been baptized. Meaning, you can receive the gift of Christ through baptism. It then asserts that God gives predisposing grace to the individual that in no way is merited by that individual, which means they can't earn it, which is true. Yet it goes on to say that they may be disposed through his quickening and helping grace to convert themselves to their own justification by freely assenting to and cooperating with grace. So you can save yourself if you cooperate with the grace of God. Next, they say repentance is also necessary for this action. And after all of this is done, then you are justified. Okay. I need you to get that. There's all of these steps and rules. And then after all of these things, you are now justified justification. And we'll get into this a little later. It means declared innocent by God. Anytime you hear the word justification, it means to be declared righteous, innocent or right before God. Just before God. We should go on this disposition. There it is. Or preparation. That's a big word. Is followed by justification itself. Meaning this you are prepared for justification, and then after all of these preparations have been done, you are now justified. Okay. It's making me okay. Which is not only a remission of sins, but also the sanctification and renewal of the inward man. Through voluntary reception of the grace and gifts whereby an unjust man becomes just and from being an enemy becomes a friend. The instrumental cause. Is the sacrament of baptism. He just went on to say the grace is complete. Justification is complete. How? The instrumental cause of all of this is baptism. Baptism. You are justified by a work of baptism. Get that. All right. Which is a sacrament of faith because it's sacramental or because it is sacred. If you do that, it shows you have faith. Therefore, you're saved. You got to get this without which no man is ever wholly justified. So you can't be wholly justified until you're baptized. You can be partly justified, but not wholly justified. Wherefore, when receiving true and Christian justice, they are commanded immediately on being born again to preserve it and pure preserve it pure and spotless as the first robe given them through Christ Jesus in place of that which Adam, by his disobedience, lust for himself and for us so that they may bear it for so that they may bear it before the tribunal of our Lord Jesus Christ and may have eternal life. Rome's concept of being justified is also not permanent. You are not permanently justified before God. In in Rome's eyes, your justification, your innocence can be undone. You can lose your innocence by committing what's known as a mortal sin. Those of you who are from the Catholic Church, you remember mortal sin. A mortal sin now can be a lot of different things. It could be you... Cussing now, it could be you lusting, it could be you drinking, well, maybe not Catholic Church, it could be you doing a lot of different things, and, and in doing so, you lose the justification that you earned, therefore you must do it again. Rome believes in a type of conditional justification, one that is not permanent, but depends on the continual faithfulness of You. So as long as you are continuing to be faithful, then your justification will remain. But if you do something wrong, commit a mortal sin or a venial sin, which is a softer sin. You lose justification and you got to start from beginning again. Go again. In other words, your justification is not completed by the work of Christ. It will be complete, though, depending on you. But not God. In chapter 10 of the Council of Trent, they assert that one can increase in justification. Through the observance, this is what they say, through the observance of the commandments of God. Obey the law. And obey the church. Faith in cooperating with works, meaning you do good deeds. Increase justice received through faith or through the grace of Christ and And are further justified, further justified. You are either justified completely or you are not justified. There is no further justification or growing in justification. You are either justified or you're not justified. Ludwig Ott, in his book, Fundamentals of the Catholic Dogma, of Catholic dogma dogma concerning achieving justification, says this. The reason for uncertainty Of the state of grace lies in this. So he he says this. You as a Catholic, you have no peace because you will live in constant uncertainty of whether or not your justification is complete. And I'll get ahead of myself. Have you guys ever seen the line for mass? Do you know why the line is so large? Because they are going through once again the process of being justified for the sins that they've committed throughout the week. That's why they will not miss mass. They'll go at midnight mass, two o'clock in the morning mass, because should something happen, they need to know that they went through the sacrifice. We'll get to that in two weeks, three weeks. And anyways, Rome says that we must fulfill all the conditions of justification in order to receive or achieve complete justification. If this is the case, then anybody in Rome can never have true shalom with God, peace with God, because they never know when the work is done. When have I done enough to be truly justified? You never know. That's why the 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 um, the rituals are done so faithfully and consistently and will never miss. Because if I miss, I might have missed my justification. You didn't even know why you were doing all these things. You didn't know why you were saying the rosary. You didn't know why you were going to confession. You just knew that's what you did. But Rome is saying, if you don't do those things, you're not justified. We often say Rome believes in works salvation. They will deny this. They will deny this uh, passionately. We do not teach works salvation. But any... Any work that is not dependent upon the work of Christ and Christ alone, but is depending upon their own works, whether it be penances, whether it be baptism, whether it be confession, that is works salvation. They will not say they teach it, but everything that they're doing shows work salvation. This is what we Protestants protest to most when it comes to work salvation and the Catholic Church, because they contradict. The word of God, the Council of Trent, it says, go back one page, please. Faith, uh, go up one page, please. Keep going. There we go. Uh, It's somewhere. Anyways, I'll read it. Faith is the beginning of human salvation, the foundation and root of all justification. We are therefore said to be justified gratuitously, I hope I said that right, because none of those things That precede justification, whether faith or works, listen, merit grace by justification. Now, at taking that at face value, hopefully you saw it. It may sound biblical. It sounds like, well, they're saying no works. They're saying like you don't have to do anything. It is by the grace of God. But according to Trent, they say that we are justified by grace or grace gratuitously. I hope I'm saying that right. Solely because of things that precede justification. This is what they mean. The process of justification is based on God's grace, but not completely on God's grace. There is no alone in there. It can be said, it cannot be said by Rome that God's grace alone is sufficient without human works to bring about full and complete justification according to Rome. Rome will say you need grace, but they won't say grace alone. Rome will say that you need faith but they won't say faith alone meaning those things are necessary but those things are not sufficient Council of Trent goes on Those who through sin have fortified the received grace of justification can be justified when moved by God they exert themselves to obtain through the sacrament of penance the recovery by the merits of Grace, loss, penance. This is going to be all of the things that we mentioned. This is going to be your baptism. This is going to be your confession. This is going to be your Hail Marys. This is going to be all of those things. The host, all of these, these things are the way of your regaining what you lost through your sin, your mortal sin. Let me explain why this does not make sense. Justification, according to Rome, involves this. And this is a big word infused grace, infused grace. Grace is infused the grace of justification into the individual. This is a subjective change in that person. Because of this, the person is now enabled to do good works. Now, these works are considered to be meritorious in God's sight. Let me read a long quote from them. Here we go. Hence to those who work well. Until the end, and trust in God, eternal life is to be offered. Stop there. Those who work well and keep doing it till the end, and trust in God, eternal life is to be offered, both as a grace mercifully promised to the sons of God through Christ Jesus, and as a reward promised by God Himself to be faithfully given to what? And merits. We must believe this is Trent talking. We must believe that nothing further is wanting to those justified to prevent them from being considered to have by those very works which have been done in God, fully satisfied the divine law, according to the state of this life and to have and to have truly merited eternal life, merited eternal life to be obtained in due time, provided they depart in grace. It must be emphasized that eternal life is merited by good works performed by the person in the state of grace. You do good works, you will be saved. Ask the Catholic, can a person who does good things be accepted by God? You will get a mixed answer. This is what Rome t- teaches, that a person is baptized, a person is justified, is justified by baptism that this justification this justified person then does good works and that these good works fully satisfy the divine law according to the state of his life or meaning that a person as long as he ends his life doing good things then that person will be accepted by God you tell me who is doing the work in Rome the point is this who is the justifier is it God or is man somehow able to justify himself? According to Rome, who denies that they teach works salvation, they sure do have a lot of teachings that within their very own counsel that they deem infallible not only suggest works salvation, but they are outright works salvation. Those of you who are sitting here may be thinking, well, what's the problem with work salvation? What's the problem with works? Nothing's wrong with works, but there's a problem with works to earn your salvation. That's a whole nother story. That's a whole nother topic. That's what Rome has stayed on. Justification is the issue. And this is done by grace. The reformers were not saying that Rome denied grace when it came to salvation. Instead, The issue is not, again, the necessity for grace. The issue is the sufficiency of grace. It's not is grace necessary. Is grace sufficient? Is grace all you need? Is God enough? It is the grace of God. Is the grace of God sufficient to accomplish salvation? The salvation of God's people. His grace alone. Or does something else need to be added to grace in order for salvation to be complete? If so, then we're adding to the gospel. And not only that, we're adding to the finished work of Christ. The reformers summarize this great issue under the wonderful term sola gratia. By grace alone. Not grace mixed with merit, not grace mixed with works of law, not grace mixed with works of charity or anything else, but grace and grace alone. It is the grace of God that saves, not you doing something that saves yourself. Can grace by itself accomplish the salvation of the human soul? Listen to me. The word of God says yes. The apostles say yes. The reformers say yes. We had Reformation Bible Church say yes. Rome says no. And Rome continues to say no. They say, you may say, I've heard them say grace. I've heard them say grace a lot of times. Rome will even say salvation cannot take place without grace. The new catechism in 1996 says this. Our justification comes. Listen to how we say it. From the grace of God. Grace is favor and free and undeserved help that God gives us to respond to his call to become children of God, adoptive sons, partakers of the divine nature and eternal life. You see, it's there, grace. It's there. They said it. Listen. It is is two completely things to say salvation cannot take place without grace than to say that salvation cannot take place without grace alone. Two completely different things, two completely different worlds. And that is the issue. Like I said last week, Mitchell Pacwa of you actually will see him on Catholic Answers on TV. He says, we hate the solas. The alones, we hate those. Rome hates those. And it's almost like sola scriptura from last week. The scriptures are necessary, according to Rome, but they're not sufficient. You need tradition. In the same way, Rome confesses the necessity of grace, but refuses to acknowledge the sufficiency of grace alone. This is how we are justified. Grace alone. The Protestant view, which is the biblical view of justification, differs from Roman Catholic views in four different ways. I've got them here for you. We differ on the meaning and extent of the term justification. We differ on the meaning of the term impute or imputation. We differ on the means by which justification takes place. Is it faith alone or faith plus works? And we also differ on the grounds or basis upon which sinful people can be justified. What is justification? The Westminster Shorter Catechism says this justification. Listen, now, this is the biblical doctrine is an act of God's free grace. Wherein he pardoneth all our sins and accepteth us as righteous in his sight only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. Justification is an act of God who is our judge, whereas our judge, he declares the believer righteous based upon himself and nothing that the believer has done. Justification is an act undertaken by God, and it's not based on anything you or I could do or have done. Let me just say this real quick. God does not look down the corridors of time and see what you're going to do. And based upon what he sees, you're going to do, say, I'm going to choose you based on what I saw you do. Instead, God, before the hands of time, chose you in spite of nothing you could ever do And says, that person will belong to me. And they have been justified, not because of anything they've ever done or that I see that they're going to do, but because they are mine. He says, you didn't choose me, I chose you. He says, John says, we love him. Why? Because he first loved us. It is an act of God's sovereign grace. And it is something that God does, not something that we do. Listen, this viewpoint The one we're talking about right now, it's God centered. The one that I I just got done talking about, Rome's view, it's man centered because you can do something for you in the reform view. You can't do nothing for you. One view lifts up man and brings down God. The other view lifts up God and brings down man. Justification is based solely and completely upon the merits of another person, Jesus Christ. Not on your merits or my merits. I have no merits. We only trust in the meritorious work of Christ. Think about this. I asked my wife this today. How can God, a just and holy judge, declare a sinner to be righteous and that not conflict with his nature? How does he look to the guilty prisoner and say you are innocent and that not diminish who he is as a just God? The way that Christ does this is through the base or through the finished work, perfect substitute, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ comes and he does for us what we could not do for ourselves. And he satisfies the wrath of God on our behalf. We do not do certain things in order to satisfy God. It has been satisfied in Christ for the glory of God. This is the basis of justification. Our basis of justification is the perfect, completed work of Christ and Christ alone. Justification involves the imputation of the righteousness of Christ, both his perfect life and as well as his perfect, all sufficient, atoning sacrifice to the believer. The the imputation means this. God credits to you what you did not have in your account and what you could never have in your account. And he makes it yours. And then he takes what you had in your account, that empty sin, and he puts it on himself. He imputes to you righteousness and imputes to himself your sin. Wow. How awesome is that? The word imputation is really one of those words that should cause your heart to swell with praise. It's one of those words that should cause you to be overwhelmed by the grace of God because you understand that your salvation is based upon the act of another and not yourself. Without this term, this imputation, there is no peace with God. But because of this term, the imputation of Christ, righteousness, you have peace with God. Why? Because he's giving to you something you could never earn. So that you may have peace with him. Rome uses words like infusion or impartation. And these are dangerous words, because if you infuse something into someone, you're simply making a slight change. If you impart something to them, you're giving them something that they could keep or not keep, could drop. And according to Rome, will drop. But when God imputes the righteousness of Christ to us, He is again acting as sovereign judge, crediting, again, crediting us with works of another person, Christ. That is amazing. He's not merely handing us something, as Rome teaches, He is giving, putting into, making your account full. That which was empty. Christ fills and he looks at you and me and he says, this person is now righteous. This person is now free and this person now has peace with me. Just like that. He doesn't wait for you to accomplish certain things. He doesn't wait for you to jump over a bunch of hoops and go through a bunch of tunnels. He looks at you and says, you now have peace with me. You now are justified because of me. Done. Praise God for that. Justification is by grace, through faith. Listen, faith is the instrument, the means of appropriating justification. This faith is true. It's saving faith. It's the kind of faith that results in the person believing and resting on Christ and his righteousness for their salvation. And that's it. Faith is a, it's, it's, it's of supernatural origin. It doesn't come from you. You know that? That God gives you faith to believe? That without him giving you the faith to believe, you would not believe. Therefore, give God glory for the fact that you believe. I was telling my wife today, one of the beautiful things about knowing you're saved is that you're getting up and reading your Bible. Or you're getting up and you're praying or you're putting on worship or you're listening to a message. None of those things are from yourself. That's all a part of the Holy Spirit working on the inside of you that causes you to say, read the word, feed me. And when you do that, give glory to God for the fact that He's working in you and He hasn't left you alone in your sin. He could, but He chooses not to. Evidence, you're sitting in here, listening to me yell at you. It is a gift from God. 19, or 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith says this, Faith thus receiving and resting on Christ, it should say on, And his righteousness is alone, the instrument of justification. True saving faith is the only instrument of justification. Listen carefully. Faith is the instrument of justification. It's not the basis of justification. Meaning this, you are not justified because of something you did. You're justified because something that God has given you that he is using to save you. That makes sense? Okay. We are justified through faith. Faith being the appropriating organ by which justification comes. This kind of faith is never alone. Let's get to the works part. It's never alone. It's accompanied with evidences of its validity. If there is no evidences of its validity, it is dead. It does not exist. So to say you have faith. But your life does not display a person who has been saved. Then you have no faith. Now, we're not saying you earn your faith. We're saying this works are evidence of the validity of your faith. You come and you do nothing. You got no faith. Why? Because faith causes you to act. It does not cause you to sit and do nothing. Faith causes you to get up and go to church when you should be in church, not stay home and say, I'm going to stay home tonight. Faith causes you to get up and not say, hey, there's there's a a game going on. I'm going to stay home because I'll catch church on the next time. Instead, faith, true saving faith causes you to get up, not just get up, but go Saturday and go share the gospel with somebody to volunteer to go to a prison. And say let me go share the gospel with somebody. Faith causes you not to just sit and do nothing. Faith causes you to get up and do something. That's true saving faith. It is so quiet in here. The reformers said this. Faith alone saves. But a saving faith is never alone. Faith alone saves. But a saving faith. Is never alone. It is always accompanied with evidences. Justification is a once and for all action. It's based upon the completed work of Christ. And it cannot be undone or destroyed by any actions of any human being. If you're saved, you belong to Christ. You're saved. You're saved. We believe in a once for all salvation. Why? Because when you belong to Christ, you belong to Christ. You cannot say, "Ah, I said a bad word or I missed church. I don't belong to Christ. You do belong to Christ. It is once for all done. And there is nothing that you can do to mess it up unless you never belong to him in the first place. We look back on our justification as Paul did in Romans 5, 1 saying, having been justified by faith. Not, I am going to one day be justified, having been justified by faith. Done. Salvation is based on God's grace. This grace is absolutely free. There's nothing that you can do to earn it. It's unmerited favor. Completely based upon this. The will and mercy of God. And not any of our actions. Titus 3.5 says this. He saved us. Not on the basis of deeds, Rome, which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy. That's how we're saved. By the washing and regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on upon us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by faith or grace, we would be made heirs according to should be heirs according to the to the hope, not the hop. Of eternal life. We are told that we are justified by his grace in Romans 324. But aside from being justified by free grace, we are also justified by the blood of Jesus Christ. Romans 5, 9 says this much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. We have been justified by the grace of God And we are justified by the blood of Jesus Christ. Romans 5, 1 again. Therefore, having been justified by faith. Listen, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Justification is by grace. Justification by the blood of Christ. Justification by faith. This grace is unmerited. We cannot earn it. The blood of Jesus Christ is shed on behalf of his people. And it's unmerited. It's free. And the faith. That justifies is the gift of God's grace as well. We ask Rome, is God's grace sufficient to bring about justification or is human merit to be added to the grace of God? I say, what can man add to this great gift? Nothing. Let's pray.